Part 5, Try Again, Three Weeks in September. Chapter 42, This Time, Tuesday, September 4th. By car, this time, we travel down the hill to face another day, another throng. The streets are quiet, though, not harsh or shrill. I hope, could be, we all might get along. Inside our school, the halls are far from full. So many students absent. Do they feel afraid, like us, of trouble? We're the pull of trouble, hate and segregation zeal. 3.30 comes, and so I find my friends to gather once again to face the world. The noise, oh, not mobs, but men with pens. Reporters asking how our day unfurled. And then we walk, my friends and I, our laughing, teasing jokes, our battle cry. And a primary source quote for this um, chapter says, they were brought to school in cars. However, when the session ended at 3.30 p.m., 4.30 New York time, seven of them walked home swinging their books and chatting gaily up the steep hill leading to the Negro settlement some 2,000 yards away. New York Times, September 5th, 1956. Chapter 43, Come Back, Wednesday, September 5th. There is no danger involved at all. Your children will be provided protection. Dear parent, if your child has not been attending high school, may we make this appeal to you to send your child back to school. We are no longer faced with the problem of integration versus segregation. That has been decided for us by the highest courts in our land. Our problem now lies within our own minds and hearts. Your emotions may cry out against integration, but your mind tells you that you are a law-abiding citizen, and your heart warns you against doing your child an injustice by hindering his education. The way of wisdom is the way of constructive thinking and loving hearts. And that was a notice sent home from the Clinton High School Parent Teacher Association Executive Committee. It's quiet inside a building that can hold 800 when only 300 show up. Quiet relief. Come back, the school pleads, with the 500 who aren't here. Come back. If it were Negro students who stayed home or found another school back on the bus to Knoxville, would we hear come back or would we hear quiet relief that we disappeared? Chapter 44, We Are in the News. And these are um, uh, quotes from newspapers. Agitator fights U.S. order here, influences people to defy the law, threatens school students. Clinton Courier News, August 30th, 1956. Fights against, again, Mar integration step. Apples and tomatoes were hurled at a Negro woman in today's disturbance. New York Times, August 31st, 1956. Unruly mob takes over in Clinton. Knoxville Journal, September 1st, 1956. Tank-led National Guard quiet, quiets town in Tennessee. New York Times, September 3rd, 1956. Negroes of Clinton mum. Stoic determination and frightened silence were the prevailing attitudes today on Foley Hill, the Negro settlement in Clinton. Washington Post, September 4th, 1956. Troops clear streets in desegregation row. Los Angeles Times, September 4th, 1956. The news is something that happens to other people in other places until it happens to you. We are the news here. We are the news everywhere.
Tennessee integration goes on despite riots. Washington Post, September 5th, 1956. Guard here has 600 men, 100 vehicles. Clinton Career News, September 6th, 1956. The President of the United States is someone who makes speeches about other people in other places until he makes a speech about you. Quote, it's difficult through law and force. Wait, sorry. It is difficult through law and through force to change a man's heart. President Dwight D. Eisenhower, September 5th, 1956, talking about violence breaking out because of school integration. We are the news here. We are the news everywhere. In New York City, in Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Maryland, Los Angeles, California, Chicago, Illinois, Detroit, Michigan, Japan. Yes, Japan. My parents collect the newspaper and magazine reports. Sometimes I don't recognize the place these articles describe, like when they talk about the Negro settlement in Clinton. Negro settlement? We're not the Jamestown colonists. Or when they talk about the shacks in our neighborhood. We have homes here. Some homes, some not so nice, some brick, some frame, some cinder block. We are not a neighborhood of shacks. But other times, I recognize this place and its people completely. Like when the newspaper quotes my mother, Mrs. Herbie Allen, answering the reporter's question about whether her daughter, me, would be returning to school after the Labor Day weekend riots. It's the Sabbath, and I've been to church to pray and seek consolation. I found my consolation there and don't want to talk to anyone today. Yes, that is my mom. And when the newspaper quotes my father, these instigating, those instigating the scenes at Clinton High are wrong in their way of thinking. We are down there because the Supreme Court has said that's where our children are going to school. I am not sending Joanne to school to marry white boys. We send her to get an education. Yes, that's my pops. And when President Eisenhower said it is difficult through law and through force to change a man's heart, yes. That is Clinton. Yes, it is difficult to change a promise of, to change a promise of change into real change. And that is news to no one. Chapter 45, speaking of President Eisenhower. I remember four years ago, my parents excited to vote for General Dwight D. Eisenhower, hero of the Second World War, to be President of the United States. I like Ike was the slogan. My dad telling everyone, we have to vote. And they voted. My dad drove old Mrs. Shockley from across the street to the voting place and the other elderly folks in the neighborhood too, because we have to vote. And they went in his shiny black Buick and voted. General Eisenhower won the election, became President Eisenhower, and my parents were happy. But now they feel let down. I know a president has big things to take care of, like keeping us out of war or winning wars, like worrying about the Soviet Union and communism and the Suez Canal crisis and strikes at steel mills and building highways all over the country. But my parents say, you, President Eisenhower, haven't come out strongly for school desegregation. Yes, Mr. President, it is difficult through law and through force to change a man's heart. But when a reporter asked you if you supported Brown versus Board of Education, you answered, I think it makes no difference whether or not I endorse it. What I say is the Constitution is at the Supreme Court 
sorry, what I say is the Constitution is as the Supreme Court interprets it. And I must conform to that and do my very best to see that it is carried out in this country. Yes, yes, that is what the leading citizens of Clinton say, the law of the land. The Supreme Court has ruled. We are law-abiding people. But if you said Brown versus Board is right, Brown versus Board is just, Brown versus Board is the American way, what if you said, I like Brown versus Board? Then I think my parents would still be saying, I like Ike. Chapter 46, The Mayor. Like the president, like the principal, like the PTA, the mayor is lukewarm on integration. He's written a statement. First, let me say that Clinton is a southern town, true to the traditions, love, and respect of the Southland. Sorry, Amelia is tied up in my cord. Amelia, I'm trying to finish read aloud for the kids. Okay, you've got, you've got to wait. Sorry, guys, she's been frustrated. I've been working all day. Amelia. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so if you hear any, she was just scratching on the chair back there. And oh, my God. All right, here we go. I, I know he doesn't think schools with black and white children are part of those Southland traditions. He continues, the present emergency, which today finds its focal point in Clinton, is a national problem brought about by the decision of the United States Supreme Court in ordering integration of the public school system. And don't forget, we in Clinton and Anderson County do not seek to allow Negroes to enter the public schools. In fact, we have for five years actively fought in the federal court to prevent this happening. Yes, we in Clinton and Anderson County fought Alva J's mom, whose lawsuit for Alva's sister, Joe Heather, went on so long with what with all that active fighting that Joe Heather was done with school by the time the Supreme Court said segregation was wrong and Judge Taylor said Alva J's mom was right. To conclude, the people of Anderson County will, I know, even though the decision of the Supreme Court is a bitter dose, obey the law. Lukewarm, but law-abiding. That puts Mayor Llewellyn on our side. With friends who call you a bitter dose, who needs enemies? Chapter 47, Day by Day, Monday, September 10th. With every day passing, more white kids return to school. With every passing day, more people return to Clinton's streets, not to yell and spit, but to shop and nod politely, to talk neighborly. With every passing day, I like to think maybe all this good behavior isn't because there are 600 soldiers patrolling our town, but rather because people really are kind, not hateful. But with every passing day, I have to think that all the good behavior cannot be disconnected from the 600 soldiers. Because if I feel comforted, mustn't those people who were yelling and spitting and those boys with their nasty signs and those men who attacked Gail Ann's boyfriend, mustn't they feel discomforted? And how long will they stand for that? With every passing day, I am grateful for the kids in school who are kind, not hateful. But even so, when I look in their faces, I see there will no longer be new, new friends in my forecast. Um, another uh, couple of uh, primary source quotes here. 
They, the Negroes, have got to have an education like everyone else, said a 13-year-old freshman girl with a pretty smile and sparkling eyes. I don't think there's any of us who really wanted to go to school with Negroes, but now that they're here, we might as well make the best of it. Another white girl, 16 and a senior, agreed in in substance, but added, I think it's all right as long as there are only 12 of them. But if more come in, and you know there will be more, I think the the county ought to build a high school for them. And that said, Clinton students themselves find middle ground on integration. Knoxville Journal, September 9th, 1956. Chapter 48, Gone, Tuesday, September 11th. Gone are the screamers, gone are the crowds, gone is the thunder of angry white clouds. Calm are the classrooms, calm are the halls, calm are the streets mostly, calmed are the brawls. Decency rises, decency won, decency spurred by a soldier, a gun. Clinton is quiet, Clinton is still, order in town, calm on our hill. Soldiers are leaving, trucks rumbling out, the day here is done, they say, I know those who doubt. Gone are the soldiers, gone are the tanks, gone is the general to whom we owe thanks. Gone is protection, gone is the shield, gone. Will our neighbor's true hearts be revealed? And some more quotes. As the last three armored personnel carriers of the National Guard rumbled away from Clinton, which has has taken on its former little town atmosphere of peace and stillness. 61 more students who had stayed at home during the two-week disturbances entered the school. Washington Post, September 12, 1956. I feel sure we will have violence once the guards are removed. Reverend O.W. Willis, pastor of Mount Sinai Baptist Church in Baltimore, Afro-American. September 15, 1956. Chapter 49, also gone, Lula T. Shockley, 1892 to 1956, Saturday through Sunday, September 15th and 16th. Mother Lula is what we call Mrs. Shockley from across the street, because when we were younger, she took care of us, Mamie and me, at her big, beautiful house when our parents had to be at work. I loved going there with its fancy furniture and beautiful things and long screened porch out back. And Mother Lula herself, who never minded us touching her delicate bric-a-brac, who made us food we didn't get at home, like frog legs that danced in the skillet when she cooked them with salt, because that's what a frog legs do, and who served tomatoes sprinkled with sugar, who put mustard plasters around our necks if we started to get sick. It's Mother Lula who's been sick with cancer. We know she is nearing the end. We know this weekend is her last on earth. And so we sit in her beautiful living room while Mother Lula is across the hall in her bedroom with her family getting ready to pass. This is how we do. This is how we do it. We sit and wait and talk in low voices about the person whose time has come. So a body doesn't have to die alone. So those who love her can feel not only sorrow, but also comfort and company. Saturday is my birthday, but I'm not a child anymore. And if I have to sit in Mother Lula's house waiting for her to pass, I do not mind. I want to. She has been a good friend to us. She's been like a grandmother. She's worried about us like we were her own. So here we are in her house this weekend until on Sunday, Mother Lula passes and I am now a 15-year-old.
Chapter 50, A Nice Walk. Some days, Bobby Kane and I walk home from school together to Jarnigan Street, 4.37 for me, 4.34 for him. We set out talking about the day. Was it a better day than yesterday? Was it worse? Either way, it's a nice walk. I know that Bobby wanted to keep going to Austin High in Knoxville to have this year, his senior year, at a place that was familiar and friendly to him, even if it was a long ride away. But the desegregation order came down and Clinton High became his school. It's hard for him, harder for him than for me and the others, because the people who hate that we're in classes with students at Clinton High School hate even more the idea of a Negro student graduating with the white students. So Bobby gets more of the bad name-calling, threats, shoving, spitting. I know he thought of quitting during those first few days, but if the people who attacked him in the ruckus at the Richie Cream thought they would scare him away, they were wrong. Since then, he is a rock, not only standing here, but solid and strong and determined, a hero in the making. Not that I would say that to him. He would think I was exaggerating or teasing or maybe flirting. And I am not flirting with Bobby Kane. I am listening to his soft talk of his hard days on our nice walk. Chapter 51, What a Whirlwind Is, Saturday, September 22nd. Dizzying to take off Carol Peters and her mother and I on an airplane bound for Washington, D.C. Daunting to know that the world is watching Clinton and will soon be watching us when we appear before cameras. To think that Mrs. Anderson or Mrs. Davis or maybe a news reporter, whoever it was, suggested that Carol and I go on television. To think that my parents agreed. It's a bumpy flight, so rough and stormy that I, oh mortification, get sick. It's not as if I haven't flown on an airplane before. When I was eight years old, I flew to California with my Aunt Mamie Lou for a visit with my Uncle Samuel. That didn't make me sick at all. The trip back to Tennessee, that was another matter. We took a train. That's a long train ride. And part of the way through, we had to move from where we were comfortably sitting to the colored car, which was not as nice. That was a little bit sickening. But now on the airplane to Washington, the stewardess in charge is kind to me. She puts me up in the first class seat for a while to help me feel better. And it does make parts of me feel better, although not necessarily my stomach. Strange and surprising to say goodbye to Carol and Mrs. Peters for the night. They go to lodging for white people, where I may not stay. Of course, segregation is here in the nation's capital. I am taken to the YWCA. The lady in charge, a Negro lady, is nice. The Y is clean also, a little terrifying, since there is no one else staying here at the Y. Also a little thrilling, since there is no one else staying here at the Y. Can a person be terrified yet thrilled at the same time? I can answer that. Yes, that is what a whirlwind is. Chapter 52, In the Studio, Sunday, September 23rd. We are here, Carol and I, to be the black and white faces on the black and white screen to interview, drumroll please, the Attorney General of the United States about our problems of school desegregation. Yes, we, teenagers from Little Clinton, Tennessee, and he, Herbert Brown, Brown, Brownell Jr., the highest law enforcement officer in the United States government, a man who gives President Eisenhower advice, a man who is in charge of all the lawyers in the government, 
a man who makes sure the Constitution is enforced and who is probably on television all the time. The television show, College Press Conference, where students are invited to ask questions of important people about important issues. We are not college students, obviously, but here we are anyway, sitting at a round table with microphones and cameras and lights and the Attorney General of the United States, who acts like these microphones and cameras and lights are nothing special, while I am just about to pass out from excitement. Chapter 53, Facing the Cameras. My heart's pounding, pounding, pounding. Will I freeze? Will I go weak? Pound, pound, pounding. My turn. I speak. Chapter 54. Left unsaid again. I don't faint away, but I don't say what I came to say. I don't ask the questions that I wrote down, that if I'm being honest, my Uncle Samuel in California wrote down for me in a letter. They are good questions. They aren't easy questions. The people who run the program don't like the questions I came with. They ask me, tell me, not to ask them. So I don't. I ask easy questions. Attorney General Brownwell gives easy answers. This was the best I could do. I spoke, but I also froze. I didn't say what I came to say. And a quote from that um, television broadcast says, uh, Joanne asked Mr. Brown." Brownell, if the president plans to make a speech on civil rights during the presidential campaign. I don't know, he answered, but I plan to make one. Chapter 55, Speaking Out. Off camera, I have a second chance. Now it's our turn to be interviewed by a writer for the Baltimore Afro-American newspaper, without the glare of the lights, without the supervision of the bigwigs, without the pound, pound, pounding. My words are easier, more natural, more me and Uncle Samuel. Me. President Eisenhower should use his authority to help integrate schools in the South. Carol. Integration should be a minor problem. I don't think it will take Tennessee more than two years to integrate all of its schools. Me. Smiling. It shouldn't take that long. Me. President Eisenhower should have more to say about the situation. I don't think I'm still smiling, and I feel fine. Chapter 56. What's over? Tuesday, September 25th. Summer is over. My big trip is over. A month of school is over. In our front yard, leaves on the giant sycamore tree start their transformation into giant brown hands that will let go next month. In our giant backyard, leaves on the little plum trees stubbornly, steadfastly stay, purple, 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 until they finally give up. The honeysuckle that clutches our back fence giving us sweet nectar in that delicious scent loosens its grip, soon to shrivel and disappear over, over, over. Maybe thinking about all that, all that, segregation, integration, law, courts, rights, prejudice, demonstrators, will be over too. I want to, and I will, watch Saturday morning television with Mamie, play jacks with her, and tiddlywinks, and pickup sticks, and Chinese checkers and marbles. I want to, and I will, play Old Maid with my family, and Scrabble and Candyland too, and watch the Ed Sullivan show on Sunday night, and eat up every last crumb of cornbread at dinner. I want to and I will sing at church, sing for fun, shake hands with the sycamore leaves, suck the juice from the last plums, say goodbye to the honeysuckle, not thinking too hard about what's over, not wondering too much about what's next. <laughs>